I'd like to maybe just, if you'd indulge me as a group here, just what do you notice is the shift between content sharing versus sharing from the person? Or what happens in you when you hear someone go to a little bit more vulnerability? Could someone just maybe share a little bit with us what that's like when you hear someone go from content that we can all think about versus a person sharing or what it was like for you to do that? If you would just share a little bit of uh, if anyone want to say a few words about your own experience of that. Can you tell me your name? I'm sorry. Hey, okay, thank you. Um, I think that when you share, it's kind of like when you apologize, you get yourself up vulnerably. Mm. And so when you hear other people share, it's, it's them giving themselves to you in vulnerability. That's great. And, and what is that? What happens in you when you hear someone do that? Right. So you don't feel like mocking them? Only, Only some people. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> but no, exactly. I mean, you, we can feel the difference, right? When someone goes, takes the risk, barring some very broken people who feel threatened by it because they're now feeling their humanity for the first time in a while, anytime someone is willing to disclose, it moves others. It's a very, we can tell the sacredness that happens. In fact, some things that are awakened in us only get awakened in adoration or in a beautiful reverent building. And now it's just another human being sharing something, but we feel similarly. That's why to hear confessions is one of my favorite things to do, is it's one of the most beautiful life-giving experiences if the person sharing is vulnerably sharing. If they're just reading a list uh, in a kind of matter-of-fact way, that's one thing. But when they're reading a list and you can tell they're really giving themselves over, it's beautiful. It's so easy to love people. Any other reflection about what, it, what happens to you when you move from content to sharing or when you see someone else? Anyone else? Right here. For me, it's just a beautiful experience because it's like Yeah. It's very similar. That's beautiful. Yet, when you share vulnerably, you kind of recognize how similar, not dissimilar, we are. And there becomes a great sense of closeness. I think this is the lens to understand what Pope Francis is trying to do over and over again in the church. And I know with Pope Francis, there's a lot of things when you mention his name that come with mentioning his name in any Catholic group. I get it. I do. But I think this is what he's trying to help the church be is, what if we were the subset of humanity that made places where people could be vulnerable and they'd be upheld in their dignity and we'd be able to let them know we're close to them? What if that was what the church was like? What if that was our touch in the world, our voice, our gaze, to use Pope Benedict uses that word quite a, used to use that word quite a bit, how we look at each other? What if it was, boy, we, we're sharing the same stuff, especially in a culture that's super divided, right? <clears throat> One of the reasons we don't like to be vulnerable uh, is uh, the phrase would be safety. We don't feel safe. In Cleveland, I would use the example of East Cleveland, but I'm told in Detroit, maybe a Greek town after 9 p.m. 
You're not walking with the same swagger as you are at noon in that town. There can be a little danger to the neighborhood. You hear it on the news. Where did the crime happen? Oh, my gosh. And it's not to demonize people in those neighborhoods, but it's to say we know a certain vigilance that happens when we're in a neighborhood where we don't feel safe versus when, in your, when you're in your friend's living room. Right? Certain freedoms and vulnerabilities. Because what happens is what we're sharing are places in us that usually feel little or can feel weak or small. No matter how old you get, you have places in you that are like, I still have this thing? Like, shouldn't I be over that by now? They're uh, unfinished parts of us. And we, we can get in touch with them in the weirdest moment. Last night I was, uh, I got in late because the traffic was terrible and I went to a, a, a local uh, burger place of yours called Hopcat. Is that right? All right, Hopcat. That's where I ended up, Hopcat. So I sit at the bar and ordering a drink and I say to the, uh, I say to the bartender, I said, hey, I go, because uh, I have this cold, I said, hey, where's a pharmacy where I could get some medicine? And she leans in, she goes, you mean a dispensary? <laughs> she's, like, she's like, do you want the good stuff? And I was like, uh, I just have a cold, I need Flonase. <laughs> she's like, oh, there's a Rite Aid right up the street. <clears throat> but in that moment, I felt like a 12-year-old in middle school again. There was the cool people who were doing drugs, and there I am in my sweatpants at the eighth grade dance still, sliding across the gym floor with my buddy Matt McCormick. <laughs> Instead of dancing with Molly Wardak when she wanted to dance with me, I blew it. All right. <clears throat> but the littlest things can make you feel small. You walk into a room. Now, most of you know each other, so it's a little different. But imagine if you didn't all know each other. You walk in a room, and it's like, oh, boy, it's lunch tray, second grade all over again. All right. Still in my high school to this day. I graduated in 2001. All right. So 23 years later, I've asked kids from the go to my high school that I grew up, is it still the same? They said, yep. It's the quote-unquote popular kids at the front, then it's usually band and theater, and then it's like some sort of uh, people who are, uh, maybe we might want to call them sketchy, and then the goth ones are right near the vending machines. This spectrum of humanity where we divide and label and everything's different, everyone's seeking individuality, yet they all look the same. And it's like, and you can feel whatever group you're in, I'm not enough, I don't have this. And when you do that, there's things you have to hide and there's things you want to maximize and minimize. And it happens almost instinctually. This interior dynamic of what we're really trying to hide are these very vulnerable interior places. I passed out the quotes to you now so you can join with me. But if you pick up uh, on 1C, 1C. The journey of deepening interiority is a journey of vulnerability. In the depths of our interiority, we come face to face with the truth. This includes the truth of our identity, who we are uniquely, and of the meaning of our lives. The truths define the value of our person. Consequently, they are extremely sensitive. Those places in you and in me that we try to hide, it's because some point in your life, someone showed you and taught you that those wouldn't be valued. You ever been around like a two-year-old when they comes downstairs and you're at a dinner party and they come downstairs naked and they're doing like a naked dance right in front of everyone and the parents are like, oh, let's just put some clothes on, what are you doing? 
Like, they don't know yet that anything would ever be shameful that they're doing. There's some naiveness built into the innocence, but they don't know that they'd be bad. Now, contrast that with a middle schooler, and you say, how was your weekend? They're like, it was fine. You're like, what'd you do? Like, I saw a movie. Like, what movie? I don't know. You don't know what movie you saw? All right, I saw the new Marvel movie. Did you like it? I don't know. You don't know if you liked the movie you spent two hours of your life watching? I mean, I guess it was good. Is that what you want? I don't know. Was it good? I don't know. You're like, all right, I can't have a relationship with you because you're not a person. (laughs) Right? What's happening there is they're so bogged down with having to be cool at all times, they don't know where they are in their own experience. So they're just trying to avoid any sort of, like, I'm this. I like this. I don't like that. They're particularities. Their unrepeatableness, and yet they're longing to be affirmed and welcomed as a person at the same time. It's part of the great angst of middle school and high school, is this, I want to fit in, and yet I want to be utterly unique. That dynamic's exhausting for that age. But I hate to break it to all of you, it's exhausting for us as well. I'm going to be the catechetical one. Or in preschool together. How many are in your RCIA? No, that's good. That's good. Three's good number for you. We have ten. No. Mm-hmm. That's good though. Three's good. Yeah. That's, I'd be happy if I were you. Yeah. It's all this balancing and evaluating. You know, and it's what it's really meant to do, or not what it's meant, what happens is, is we end up shrinking. There's parts of us we hide. Think of in the gospel, the man with the withered hand. He's been told by everyone in his town it's because of his withered hand that he cannot be fully a part of the worship. He's not a part of the community. There's something dangerous, bad about him. And the very place Jesus goes in his life to restore him is the very place he's been hiding. And he says, show me your hand. And it's in the very process of unveiling it that it's restored. He doesn't do like... He doesn't rub clay on the hand or spit in it like he does people's eyes. He likes spitting in eyes. But he doesn't like spitting in hands, apparently. He just explodes your hand. Boom, it's healed. In the very unveiling to someone who's loving you, there's something healing in the very process. It's also true that these places in us that are very little carry a lot of pain. They're the places in us that carry the time when you weren't asked to homecoming or the time where you asked a girl out and she said, no, thank you. They're the places in you that feel like when your kids said, you're bad, I don't want to love you anymore. Even though you knew it passed, it hurt deeply. Or when a nun or priest shamed you or ignored you and didn't see you. Or as brother priests, when parishioners see us as just machines that give out sacraments and don't realize we need at least six hours of sleep, if you don't mind. Like it's times where your personhood is not honored. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, who when he comes into the world, he comes into our littleness. He was two cells in the womb of Mary. He needed Mary and Joseph. That's how vulnerable he became. He took on needs. If Mary and Joseph were bad dad and bad mom, he would have been wounded in his humanity and something of his sacred humanity that radiates the Father's love would have been impaired. That's how vulnerable he became. He needed the love of Mary and Joseph. 
He needed to be celebrated and seen and honored and blessed. And then when he entered into his public mission, where was he always going? To the lowest place, to the littlest ones, to the ignored. I don't know about any of you, but I know sometimes in chancellery work, it can become such a professional work that we miss out on the lowly, the little, the least, the ignored, not just people in our communities, places in our hearts. My little parts do not seem very functional and professional, and I don't know how they would make return all these phone calls and emails. The bishop wants to see me, and I have no idea what for. My little parts are freaking out right now. But I will go in and make it seem like I am fine. Whatever you need, bishop, I'm here to serve. Inside, I'm like, just tell me you like me. (laughs) The laughter is communion. We get it. And yet we pretend like, oh, no, I'm fine. You're fine, I'm fine. Yeah, good. I believe it was G.K. Chesterton who said, our churches should look less like country clubs and more like hospitals. No pun intended here, but okay, good. (laughs) That was not, yeah, okay. Okay, anyways, move on. Pretend that moment didn't happen. All right, great. (laughs) If you look at me at 1B, in Jesus, God has shown us that divine power, God's very omnipotence, is manifest in infinite vulnerability. From the first moment of his existence in the womb of Mary, Jesus shows us that God dwells in vulnerability. Vulnerability radiates the beauty of God himself. The vulnerable human heart is the most beautiful thing there is. When a big hulking man starts to cry, when a little boy bursts into song, it pierces our cynicism and reaches our hearts. I'll put this a little bit maybe in biblical terms. Adam and Eve were naked without shame. They were just pure vulnerability. They could be totally see, be seen and see another. They could participate in each other's lives because they were whole. There wasn't the pain, the sin, all of that hadn't entered yet. But that's what we were made for. That's why this echoes in your heart and mind. We want this, we desire to be seen and to see another deeply because this is what we were made for. John Paul II says there's echoes of his of God's original plan still at work in our hearts. The beautiful thing is we're not meant to be able to tell ourselves we're a gift. You know, there's some like psychological fields out there talking about positive self-talk. And it can be helpful not to shame yourself, of course, to you're always putting yourself down. There's something to be corrected there and healed. But fundamentally, you can't give yourself what you most need. It's one of the definitions of a human person. You can't give yourself what you most need. We're intrinsically relational. From the time we're born, we need a mom's womb to be a safe place full of nutrients. We need her breasts or some sort of food for nurture. We need a father and a mother, as every psychologist and sociologist shows us, to help form our identity because the love that comes to us through dad and through mom are different. Who do you go to when you have a boo-boo? Who do you ask to protect you when something's scary? 
Mom and dad bring different beautiful things into a kid's life. They have needs. And we continue to have needs as we grow. To be celebrated and seen, to be welcomed and honored. This isn't being needy, this is being human. One of the biggest dangers in the church was somehow we were supposed to just be fine with our prayer life. And then everything else is just supposed to be, well, whatever. Prayer is not supposed to be everything. God's original plan was that God would not be saying properly enough. Remember, Adam's in the garden. He creates a human person in the garden. No sin, totally alive, totally happy, has a better relationship with God than we'll ever have. There's no sin. He's perfectly in union with God. And God says, it is not good that he'd be alone. Meaning, it's not enough that he just has me, God's saying. My plan is that he'd also have communion with each other. I want my delight and my love to be mediated through other humans for these people and to be that gift for another. In John Paul II's language, original solitude is us with God. It's our unique personhood. We discover we have a unique relationship with God and we are good. But it's not fulfilled there. We only find fulfillment when with original solitude comes original unity. That's to say, other people come into our lives. And now we can live for others as a gift and we can receive them as a gift. Now God's plan is reached. He created us to be with people. He redeemed us through a community known as the church and we're going to be with each other, God willing, forever in communion of saints. You're stuck with each other, okay? What I'm trying to say. And it matters how people have treated you. all the more does it matter how people in the church have treated you. If you're one of those people who's running, oh man, I should have been kinder to this person. That's good. Maybe that's true. But first step back and realize who hasn't given you the gift of revealing that you are an unrepeatable image of God and you bring something into this world that's worthwhile. To see, this is clunky, so I'm going to read it once so we can have an official teaching by a pope, and then I'll explain it in Father Ryan Mann terms, which is nowhere near as beautiful, but maybe it can help. Self-discovery and understanding come through self-gift and acceptance. So now John Paul II is going to talk about Eve and Adam right here, their relationship. She therefore finds herself in her own gift of self, when she has been accepted in the way which the Creator willed her, namely, for her own sake, through her humanity and femininity. She comes to the innermost depths of her own person and to the full possession of herself when, in this acceptance, the whole dignity of the gift is ensured through the offer of what she is in the whole truth. We'll stop there. When Eve gave herself as a gift to Adam, and he received her as a gift, so in his eyes he lit up, maybe a warm smile, maybe she just saw his arms open to her. When she saw through his body that she was a gift for her own sake, not her effect on him, not what she could do in the world, just in her own person, when that was seen and mediated through Adam, 
she then possessed herself in a deeper way. That's the gift of what we're meant to be for each other, is that we're able to give this gift. I'm able to give the gift of you back to yourself. Wait, that's not just me. That's a quote here. Oh, 2E. In communication, we share with each other what we have. Material possessions, psychological experiences, and spiritual experiences. But what we are cannot be communicated. This is so because there is a profound difference between having and being. What I am can only be received by the other who gives me his full attention, who is present to me, and becomes aware of what I am, and that I am good and worthwhile. His evident finding delight in my goodness will be perceived by me. I am revealed to myself as good. In friendship, the greatest gift my friend can give me is in himself. In affirmation, I receive an even greater gift, myself. I don't know if you've seen this, uh, this experiment called the still face experiment with the kids. So a mom and her baby, the mom's smiling and the baby's going, hi, and hi, and they're giggling and laughing and smiling. And then the mom just goes still-faced and just stares at the baby. And it feels like for 10 weeks, but it's like a few minutes. And the baby's like, hi, hi, but the mom doesn't react. And the, and the baby's like eight, nine months old. So I'm like, hi, and the baby starts squirming and the baby starts crying and the baby starts withdrawing and shutting down. And then the mom goes, hi, I'm here, and pops back to life. We're made to be loved, not for what we do or will do, what we have done, but as a person, by name, hence why Jesus calls them by name, to go and proclaim the kingdom. It's through our own weaknesses and pain that we began to think, if I was seen, I wouldn't be loved. And so Adam and Eve put on fig leaves. And God says, Adam, where are you? And he says that to us every single moment. Where are you? Meaning, would you like to step out of hiding and come into communion? Would you let me have access to these places? And Adam says a beautiful line. He says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I was afraid because I realized I can be seen and I can't imagine I'd be loved. So how does God rescue us? Jesus says, I chose to become naked and to be rejected so I can love you from those very places. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So the very places where you were hurt, sometimes terribly so when you were young or maybe even older in workplaces or ministry or whatever, those are the very places Jesus wants to enter, not on the side of the one getting you, not on moral content. Well, this happened and I should forgive. And da, da, da. He wants to be in the place with you where you're carrying the pain, where you needed to be seen and loved and you weren't. Needs are not wounds. Wounds get healed. Needs take us to God. 
but they make us feel very little. And we get really scared because we haven't met a lot of people who are really good at this place in our humanity. What if we as the church got really good at it? What if we as the church didn't have as many formulas or big ideas, but you're like, you know what? I was able to reveal to a few people that they mattered. Like last night, there was two homeless guys and they were walking towards me and they said, hey, I didn't have my collar on. They said, hey, you got a minute? And I said, I really don't because I need to take my medicine and get to bed. I was exhausted. And I said, I really don't. And they said, oh, man, no one has time for us. And I said, and I really broke my heart. I was like, I'm so sorry that's the case. And then I, I had to get going. <laughs> but St. Benedict says, if you can't give someone what they need, you can at least give them a kind word. I'm so sorry that's the case. You were hurt by people. I guarantee some in the church, some not. I'm so sorry that was the case. You really deserved better. And God's plan was that that didn't happen for you. Because you matter to him. As we heard from Pope Francis that he wants us to think of ourselves as little children. So <clears throat> I'd like us to read 3A and then I'm going to guide us through a little meditation. God saves us then by making himself little. The little ones speak his language, to quote Pope Francis. The language of love is always simple. Gestures of tenderness, embraces, a mother feeding her baby with her body, a mother holding her baby in her arms. This is the first language that Jesus spoke, a language of touch, of food, of kisses and embraces. It's true, God sometimes pours amazing graces in our prayer time. And since Jesus prayed, we prayed. It's beautiful. But it seems to be God's preferred way of communicating his love to us is mediated through the human, through each one of your bodies and mine. After all, what else would it mean to be an image and likeness of God if that weren't the case? Like when he calls you by name, as Pope Francis said, by name, he repeats it. It's the fullness of your story. All the things you confess in the confessional and all the ways you think, I can't believe I did that. I really did great ministry today. That was amazing what I was able to accomplish. Or all the times you know, like, I, know I, I feel really talented in these areas, but weaker in these areas. He calls all of it to primarily radiate what he thinks of this person in front of you or this group of people next to you. You get to be his eyes, his ears, his hands, his heart, his body. We hear that quote all the time by Teresa of Avila. John Paul II says, if you really want to know who you are, make a sincere gift of yourself. Now that gets dipped and kind of scooped into the American workaholism. Some of you think like, all right, I'll be a gift by working really hard. <clears throat> and I don't think God the Father has a long beard, but if he did, he'd be pulling it out. To make a sincere gift of yourself are the simple gestures of love. I would really love to meet with you right now. 
but I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of a bunch of emails. Can we meet later today? Because I would love to spend some time with you. Same thing gets accomplished. You still get your work done, but you're letting know this is a person. I, I can tell you need some. I would love to. My life is crazy right now. What if we met for maybe five minutes before the day's over? Just a little bit. Or how even more beautiful? Can you help me? I'm struggling with something. What if that's what your chancery began to sound like? So when people came to the chancery, they'd be like, what's with them? They're not like, hi, how are you? We're here to help and serve whatever you need. We have five policies you have to follow. Otherwise, the lawyers will call you. But other than that, you'll be great. What if it was instead like, how are you doing? What's been going on in your life? What can I do for you? I'm here for you. In my parish, we're starting a phone call campaign. I'm going to call all 4,300 families, not me, but uh, uh, the parish council is going to between now and Christmas. And as a parish staff, we were praying and talking about, we just want to have, ask three questions. But the first question we're asking them is, what can we do for you? We just want to give them a space. And we might not be able to. We may all of a sudden be like, uh-oh, we, have a way too, we already had a big to-do list. Now our to-do list is way too big. But the first thing we did for them is actually let them be heard. We're receiving them, as it said there, for their own sake. Not for what we get from them. We're not asking this so that we can be superheroes. It's just we're letting them have a space. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to lead you through a little meditation. Put everything off your lap and just get whatever comfortable position is for you to meditate in. you just repeat after me. Come Holy Spirit, fill the heart of your faithful with the fire of your love. Come Holy Spirit, fill my heart with your love. Come Holy Spirit, fill my heart with the warmth of your love. I'm going to ask you to ask God, where in your life did you feel unseen or ignored, rejected or denied? And just see who he brings up. You may always have the one person or situation you want to go to, but maybe today it's someone different. Who do you feel unseen by? Someone in the church, someone in your family. As someone comes to mind, it may be a prolonged relationship, so there may be a lot of scenarios. Or might have just been one circumstance, but see if you can't remember one or two times it happened with that person. Family, friend, church, colleague, whatever. And as you recall it happening, notice how you feel 
as you go back to this memory. Maybe you can feel yourself getting angry. Maybe it's in your jaw or your chest. Maybe you feel yourself being dejected and your shoulders want to shrink down and you just want to slouch away. Maybe you feel it like around your eyes, like just begging for them to see you and hear you finally. Maybe there's a part of you that's just protecting you and just wants to say whatever, whatever that happened. And that's a defense because there's something worth defending, your heart. So just notice what's going on in your body and in your memory as you think about this time where you were ignored, rejected, denied, or shut down. And ask yourself the question, what do I really need in this memory? What did I really want if this being ignored, rejected, denied, and shut down hurt so badly? What was I really looking for from this person? It's maybe a vulnerable place, but those desires really matter. Maybe I was looking to be validated. Maybe I was looking to just feel safe. I just wanted to be told good job. I would just really wanted an apology. Notice if any of that sounds dumb to you or deeply human. And what you hear there, I just invite you to just share with Jesus, not cleaned up, not made prayerful, just these are my desires, these are what I really wanted. Share that with him in this moment of silence. as you're aware of that part of your heart, just ask yourself how old you feel right there. Most of the time in these vulnerable places, we can feel really young. You don't need like an exact age or a grade, but just notice if you don't feel young. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be told good job or I like that idea. I just wanted to feel like, I don't know, I was friends. Wanted to feel included.
As you become aware of your heart being young there, just want to remind you of the passage where Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom. Maybe another way of saying that is, unless you come to welcome this little part of your heart more consistently, you can't enter. This little part of you is the part of you that will bring you all the way into heaven, full of trust and beautiful desires, but also carrying some pain. So maybe invite Jesus in your own words to be with your littleness. Jesus, I feel so small and I can just see that that little part of me needs and let him know. Or maybe you don't have the words, he knows. So just let him see, let him look with warmth and love and protection on that little place in you. you're still feeling any anger, just know that that anger is really trying to protect you. That anger isn't bad. That anger is the energy we need to defend these little parts. But behind every anger are these vulnerable desires. And so if you are still feeling angry or upset or frustrated, just notice what are the desires behind that? Maybe you're frustrated that this, nothing's happening for you in this time. And you really wish something would. That's beautiful. Maybe you're just still angry because you want that person to finally get it. That's a great prayer. Lord, would you help them to see me as you see me, as a gift and as good. Now, if you can imagine yourself at the foot of the cross, looking up at Jesus, who with great joy is willingly accepting all the sins of that person who hurt you and our own, at times, unforgiveness and hardness, he's accepting it all with joy. If you're able, can you bring the person who hurt you to the cross with you? To just allow them to be at the foot of the cross and Jesus saving them like he's saving you, so that you can let go of them and give them to Jesus. Because he loves you, and he'll take care of you. And if you can't go there, that's okay. Just stay with the vulnerable places in you, and let Jesus see those places and hear those places.
And in your own words, just tell Jesus, thank you for loving my littleness. Thank you for loving the places where I am full of need. And remember, he doesn't remove needs. He removes the pain that's in the need. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.